Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. I am so glad that we're doing this seven-part sermon series based on the book Tasting Grace by Melissa D. Arabian. Melissa is a member of St. Paul's, and she's a Food Network cooking channel host and author of some best-selling cookbooks. Today's sermon is the third in the series based on the third chapter of Tasting Grace called Invitation to Creation. Melissa's style is so easy and it's so personal. Not only that, but I've been listening to her book on Audible as I commute from my home to the church. And Melissa is the narrator on it, and uh, it just feels like she's talking to me one to one as I'm driving the car. So it's really fun. You might want to check out that version of the book, too. I don't know about you, but it's taking much more these days as we move through the pandemic and the stay at home order to find hope, to not be depressed, to feel connected to God. And for me, as I've been listening to Melissa's book, I experience a shift in my heart and hope filling me. I feel like I can take some cleansing breaths and and I can just stand up straighter. In one word, I've truly felt inspired as I've listened and read the book. So thank you, Melissa. The one who seeks and follows Christ is a radically transformed individual. I'm going to say that again. The one who seeks and follows Christ is a radically transformed individual. I think this is the witness Melissa makes in Tasting Grace, and it's who I desire to be, a radically transformed individual. It's hard, though. I've also been reading Romans in my personal devotion time this past month, and as I've read through chapters 5 and 6 while preparing to preach today, I found there's a lot in those chapters of Romans and Melissa's book that overlap. For instance, Melissa talks about her first days on the set of the cooking competition called The Next Food Network Star. She mentions the stress, the unnatural rhythm of traveling and waiting, waiting, and then rushing, rushing in the cooking challenge and feeling less than adequate compared to some of the impressive chefs around her and her fear of being judged by the cameras and how she might look. Well, we're not TV stars, but we can definitely relate to stress these days, to having unnatural rhythms of life, of feeling less than adequate and of being judged by those who look on into our lives. Did you know that according to a study by the University of Washington, by age five, children have a sense of self-esteem comparable in strength to adults, and that that level of self-esteem tends to remain across their lifetime. Our own Bishop Grant Hagia, in a class that I was uh, in with him this past week, he taught that by age eight, children have learned a negative self-image age eight. No wonder we deal with self-doubt and negativity constantly. 
It's interesting in our passage in Romans what it says about this. So I want you to grab a Bible. Go ahead and take a minute. I'm going to give you time. I'm using my Wesleyan study Bible. I really like it because um, it's from the Wesleyan perspective, and it has notes from one of the founders of our Methodist movement, John Wesley. This is the New Revised Standard Version, and we're looking at Romans 6, 5 through 13, 17 and 18. Uh, I'll say that again. Romans 6, 5 through 13, 17 and 18. But I have a little surprise for you, a treat. We have a family that's going to read this uh, for us. And it's special because they are the reigning chili cook-off champions of St. Paul's. Uh, we have the last few years had a chili cook-off at our Advent decorating time, a little party. And so here are the Vosper family reading for us today. Today's scripture reading is Romans 6, verses 5 through 13, 17, and 18. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so, him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Thank you so much to the Vosper family for helping us with that, our chili champions. It's possible, as you heard and maybe hopefully read this passage for yourself, that one or two words stuck out for you. I'm wondering if one of those words was sin. I wouldn't be surprised if so, because it comes up nine times by my count in those few verses. Sin is a hard word to talk about and hear about. In Greek, this word is hamartia, which I've taught before in preaching and classes that it's an archery term, meaning to miss the mark or fear of failure. When I think about sin as missing the mark or fear of failure, I think of Melissa's words describing her fear of inadequacy and fear of being found a failure by judges in front of and behind the camera. But verse 6 reminds us, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. But, but listen, if we replace sin with fear of failure instead, listen to how it sounds different. 
We know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that fear of failure might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to fear of failure. That sounds a lot to me like what Melissa says in this chapter. She writes, Would I worry about the cameras, the competition, how I looked on television, and potential elimination, and try to control the uncontrollable? Or would I focus deep and hard on God and who God made me to be? I found peace and stability in the latter. God is always the right place for me to fix my eyes. My real win, finding my center in God. It's also interesting to me that she started that paragraph with the words, I had to make a decision. She had to make a decision. Would she worry about all the things she listed? Be enslaved to fear of failure. Or she says, would I fix my eyes on God? It was a decision, she, she says. She made every time she came to a new cooking challenge, which was very often. And this is very Wesleyan. To believe and live knowing that God is present and full of grace through Jesus, but that we also must choose by faith to believe and continually follow the way of Jesus, dying to fear of failure and living into resurrection life with him. We are no longer enslaved to fear of failure. Now we are a new creation, having also been resurrected with Christ, free to fully live. Hear how Melissa says this. As I learned to trust that God would fill my creator's well abundantly, the fear of running out of ideas subsided. Trusting the creator in me was one of the greatest gifts I received. I said I've been feeling inspired as I've been listening to her book, and one of the most inspiring passages for me was about a dish Melissa talks about using a lot in the 90s that had very opposite flavors. I was really intrigued by her talking about uh, this, these flavors together, and I decided to try to make it myself. Here's a short video of my experience in the kitchen. These past few weeks, I've been really inspired by Melissa's book. I think I was doubly inspired because I've been listening to it on Audible on my commute from home to church. And she narrates the book herself, so it's like she's talking just to me and telling me her story. But one of the things I picked up on in chapter 3 is that, in my own words, I am a co-creator, in a sense, with God. God is the ultimate creator, but he calls on each of us to reach toward our own creativity. Well, I'm no great cook. Truth be told, I don't really enjoy cooking. And I especially don't enjoy cleaning up, but I do love food. Melissa talked about a dish she made quite often in the 90s that became her go-to dish when she had company. I never heard of it before, chicken marble. But the ingredients sounded so fabulous to me, I felt inspired to, to try making it, even though I'm not great in the kitchen. She made the dish sound so great. I just have to read her description of it in chapter 3. She writes, It was a simple dish that delivered big on flavor and taught me about balancing 
acidity, bitterness, and saltiness. The recipe was based on marinating the chicken overnight in a perfect marriage of herbs, brown sugar, prunes, olives, capers, and white wine, and tasty results were guaranteed. Sounds great, right? So here I am in my own kitchen, trying this recipe, chicken marbella, I found online on the New York Times cooking app, but it's straight from the pages of the Silver Palette Cookbook, just like Melissa used years ago. The recipe seems pretty simple and straightforward. Surely even I can do this. If you want to join me, I'd love that. We can do this together and see how it turns out. You can even let me know in the comments. So here are the ingredients you'll need to pull together. Basically, we just mix them all together, coating the chicken with them, and then let it marinate overnight in the refrigerator. Here's what you need. You need a half a cup of olive oil, half a cup of red wine vinegar, one cup of pitted prunes, a half a cup of Spanish green olives, half a cup of capers with some of the juice, six bay leaves. I know there's not six in there. I'll tell you why in a moment. One head of garlic peeled and pureed, but I have crushed garlic, so I'm just going to use that. Half a cup of fresh oregano, or chopped, or half a cup of dried oregano. I only have brown, so I'm going to use that, and I think I've read that it's supposed to be one-fourth of the amount. A teaspoon, or two teaspoons of salt, a fourth teaspoon of ground pepper, and then this recipe calls for about seven and a half or eight pounds of chicken. Now my family, just the four of us, would never eat that much, so I am only using about three and a half pounds of chicken breast. And I've gone ahead and used the same ingredients or double for chicken, except for the bay leaves. Um, I won't be using as much salt and pepper probably, but I was thinking that the olive oil and the vinegar and I really like prunes, and I love capers, and I love um, olives. So I was thinking all of those things together would really be good to coat this um, overnight. I decided to use this pan because it has this lid that I can stick on it in the refrigerator. Here's how mine turned out. I'm thinking it would have been better if the chicken were completely covered. But this is how I did it. So I'd love to see a picture of how yours looks. I'm going to throw it in the refrigerator now, and we'll see how it turns out tomorrow. In just a few minutes, I'll show you a much shorter video of how it turned out. The passage in Melissa's book describing the perfect marriage of all those opposite flavors, bitter, sweet, salty, acidic, that also made me think of our passage in Romans at verse 17. If you want to look at it yourself again, please do with me. It says... But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you are entrusted. The emphasis is mine that I added in the slide. But I want to show you and ask you, 
What part of the body does God entrust his teaching to, it says? Does it say our minds? Does it say our gut? No, it doesn't. Not those places where our body seems more reactive, you know, in that lower part of the brain where uh, fear, flight, fight originates, and not in the place where fear seems to manifest, you know, ulcers and stomach aches. Not those places. The place scripture talks about where God does God's best work is in the heart. Our hearts are formed, it says, by God's teaching. That word is helpful too. In Greek, it's tupos, meaning pattern or model. John Wesley equates that in his commentary to a mold that liquid metal is poured into. Since we're talking about cooking, maybe we can think of a jello mold. But once we believe and receive Christ, we are reformed, recreated, remolded. We are not the same as we once were before. Not enslaved to fear of failure, but we are new in Christ and free to create. In Christ, our differences, like the bitterness of herbs, the acidity of vinegar, the sweetness of prunes, the saltiness of capers and olives, are all recreated to become a beautiful tapestry of flavors together to bring delight. Are you curious if these flavors I tried in my cooking actually brought delight or not? Here's how my chicken marbella turned out. Welcome back to day two of trying the chicken marbella recipe. Are you curious how it's going to turn out? I am. I took the dish out of the fridge where it marinated overnight. Now the recipe calls for one cup of dry white wine and one cup of brown sugar to be sprinkled over the chicken before baking it. I've decided to substitute the wine with half a cup of apple cider vinegar and half a cup of water. So I'll just pour that over and sprinkle the brown sugar on top. Here it is, ready to go in the oven. Can't wait. Hey, 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 the finished product. My family absolutely loved it, and it smelled wonderful as it was baking from the very beginning. My family wants me to do this again so they can have other great meals. I hope you try it and it works out well for you. Let me know. So you can see my family was very happy with this tasty recipe. And they were happy I didn't let my fear of failure get in my way of trying something new. I was really inspired to try and create this myself. Are you feeling inspired to try something or do something you've been a little afraid of? Thanks be to God, you having once been slaves to fear of failure are set free. Live to God instead. Try it. Now, here's Melissa D. Arabian herself letting us know how we can RSVP to this invitation of hers to creation and creativity. God is the original creator, and we are creators too. And food can be part of that creation. 
So what does society say about us being creators with food? Well, one message is that we have to be really good at it. That it's not worth getting into the kitchen unless you have a ton of really great recipes or you're really smart in the kitchen and you can make something really fancy. The other message that we get from society is sometimes that our time in the kitchen is kind of wasted. In other words, the time that you spend making food for yourself or for your families or friends probably should be shortened and be spent doing something much more important like, I don't know, scrolling through Instagram or whatever. What does God say about creation? Well, God is the original creator, right? It's right there in, in the Bible, God created. It's like literally the first two words of the Bible. And then God made us in his image. So we are creators. Even if we're not doing something particularly creative at the moment, right? We don't have to be artists to also be creators. God also says that the work that we put in around food is worthy work. God is inviting us into creation and being like him. Like imagine, imagine God creating the world and like making, you know, man like out of Play-Doh and the joy that that creation brought him. And now we get to join that creation. So God creates a tomato, right? He, he, he grows it up from, from a seed and we're the waterers and the planters. But God is the one who transforms the seed into a tomato. And now we show up on the scene and we get to continue that creation. We get to work right alongside God. That's the joy that God has given us in making us creators. And we can tap into that with food. So let me give you a couple of ways to RSVP into the invitation and the creation. One is you don't have to be a fantastic cook to tap into the creator in you in the kitchen. Just have a couple of really simple recipes that you can execute easily without having to look them up. Simple ingredients, something really easy. Even executing something really simple in the kitchen can help you tap into the joy of being a creator. The other tip I have for you is to lean in to trusting the ingredients. Once you learn how to make a salad, well then open up your fridge and pull out whatever vegetables you find and have a little bit of fun with trusting the ingredients. You can find God in those ingredients if you look for it. And that will invite you into creation. We really appreciate Melissa being the author and creator of Tasting Grace, helping St. Paul's go deeper in their walk with Christ. Please let us know, get in touch, how God has been calling you to be creative in your life. I think the best way to end my message this morning is by saying together the serenity prayer. It's a beautiful prayer with unclear origins, but great to have in your back pocket for any time but especially for morning devotions or bedtime rituals. Let's pray this together. Will you join me? God, 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.